Good morning. Did everyone have a happy Thanksgiving? Good, good. Uh, you know, I, you know how the holidays kind of just, you know, run, get earlier and earlier every year. You know, it's Christmas is the one I like to like to start way back, you know, in October. That's the one I like to hurry up and get to. And matter of fact, if you go to my house, it's decorated. David has decorated it all up and she posted it all online. And David sent her a note and said, hey, how about show Thanksgiving a little love? You know, because she did it a week before Thanksgiving. So I am going to take David's advice today. And we're going to talk about being thankful since it is Thanksgiving weekend. It's a whole weekend, right? Okay. Yep. So Charles Spurgeon said, we are in the wrong state of mind if we are not in a thankful state of mind. We are to be thankful at all times. Amen. So please find your way in God's precious word to Romans chapter five. We left off there verse three. I know we're not moving very fast, but we're moving. I've really grown to love this chapter in Romans. The word tells us such good news. It's packed full of good news. It says that we are justified. It tells us that we have peace with God. We have access to God. And that's not enough. We stand in grace. What more do we need? So as we celebrate a time of Thanksgiving, we can see that we actually have a lot to be thankful for. So whenever we think that things are not going our way, uh, you know, uh, the way we'd like them to, whenever we get down because of circumstances on this earth, we need to turn to chapter five of Romans and meditate. You know, I had a golf instructor tell me once, he said, whenever your swing gets out of whack and you don't know what's going on, he said, go back to the basics, go back to what you know. And that's what we have to do in life. Whenever our life gets out of whack, whenever things get out of balance, we need to go back to what we know. We need to go back to the basics. We need to focus. We need to refocus our thoughts. We need to meditate on the scriptures that say that we are justified, that we have peace with God, that we have access to God, and that we stand in grace. That's where we need to go. Amen? We are we are in a wrong state of mind if we are not in a thankful state of mind. Listen, we, we could, if, if we could get our mind right, get your mind right, Luke, if we could do that, if we could let those thoughts rule over our lives, then we could do as Paul says at the end of verse 2, we can rejoice in the glory of God. We can then boast. We, we will continue to rejoice in the no-so hope that we have. That no so hope is, the, is knowing that one day we will share in the glory of God. One day we will get back that glory that we lost. We, one day we will be like him. That's where we need to focus our attention. The hymn says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. And it will be. It says, when we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. Absolutely. But know this. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. Right. You know, we can, we can rejoice now. We can sing about the victory now because we know that the victory is a done deal as we will see today. So what do we do as we walk this pilgrim's pathway? Like Pastor Ryan says, we keep our eyes on Jesus and the living hope that we have. And that will bring into focus what is important in life. We will be able to see God at work in our lives. 
we will be able to see the promises of God being fulfilled. We'll be able to see that each and every one of us has a purpose in this life, each and every one of us. And we rejoice. Rejoice in the good times, we rejoice in the bad times. That's what the word says. Not only rejoice in the hope of the glory, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice in the persecution that will come because we know that we have the victory. You know, I was thinking this week, when we see the church being singled out, you know, when we see that the church is told to close, when other businesses are able to, to stay open, we should rejoice. We really should. When, when those times come, we have to ask this question. Why the church? Why, why, why is the church the target? Well, we know why, right? We know. We know that there's life-changing power in the word of God. Amen. So we rejoice when the church is persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Rejoice. It's confirmation that we are worshiping the one true living God. It's confirmation of the glory to come. You know, you could bring up God to people and they'll say, well, well, that's nice. I'm glad you're religious. That's nice. You could tell them that God loves him and they say, oh, well, thank you. Bless you. They may even say back to you. Bless you. But if you tell them that God loves them so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save them, not to condemn them, their attitude will change, will immediately change. There will be a hatred for God like you've never seen. It's like flipping a switch just because you bring up the name Jesus. You never hear that, of, that kind of hatred for any other, quote, religions, do you? Think about this. Think about what Jesus did as he walked this earth. The love he showed the people, the feedings, the, the healings. Think about that. But none of that mattered when he was on trial. What did they scream? Crucify him. Crucify him. I believe the hatred for Jesus comes from knowing more truth than people would like to admit. They will overlook the love. They will overlook the salvation. They will overlook the grace. They will overlook the mercy. Because in their hearts, they know that there is a God. And they know that there is a true living God that is holy, holy, holy. And if he is holy, then he will have to condemn sin. I believe in their hearts they know that Jesus will return one day and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Jesus said they persecuted me. They will persecute you. So rejoice because, hey, it's in those times as we hear the prayer request, it's in those times that our prayer life grows. It's in those times when our faith is tested. It is then, it is, it is then that we see God refining us, making us more like Christ in our walk. How does that happen? Our suffering produces endurance, and our endurance, verse 4, produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our hope is confidence that God is in control and will see us through. We will endure because we know that God is at work in us, conforming us to the likeness of his son. So rejoice. It's just giving us a glimpse of the hope of the glory to come. We can rejoice. We can rejoice in the hope because the hope does not put us to shame. Our hope in God's promises will never disappoint us by being unfulfilled. 
There is not one promise that God has made that he has not fulfilled or that he is going to fulfill. And because we have seen God fulfill his promises in the past, that is, he has a track record, we know that he will fulfill the promises in the future. And that's why our hope does not put us to shame. In other words, since our hope is centered in God and his promises, it does not disappoint us and it will not disappoint us. You know, something I noticed about these verses here, I saw the fruit of the spirit right here in this section. We see verse one, we see faith. In verse two, we see hope. And in verse five, we see love. All three combine to give us the patience we need in the trials of life. And patience makes it possible for us to grow in character and become a mature child of God as we wait on God to fulfill his promises. These are encouraging words, are they not? But listen, we are in the wrong state of mind if we're not in a thankful state of mind. I have more good news in this text. Trials and tribulations will come, yes, but the good news is God does not leave us to ourselves to try to get through life or just drudge our way through life. That's not what he does. We know this to be true because it is the Holy Spirit who has filled our hearts with God's love. And he is the one who continues to encourage us as we hope in God. Look at verse five, just for a moment. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Why does our, our hope not put us to shame? Because we now have love in our hearts for God. Did you see that? We now have love in our hearts for God. It's not that, that God has poured, God's love has been poured into us. It is that because of God's love in us, we are now able to love God. You see that? This love for God's a big deal. What did God command the Israelites to do? What's the Shema? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, right? Well, because of the Holy Spirit, we now have that love for God. We are now able to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. The Shema has been fulfilled. It is fulfilled by the ones who love the God revealed in Jesus, the Messiah. Because God has poured his love into us, God's people are now able to love God like God intended. It's not a perfect love yet, but we can love God. That's why we're not ashamed. As Paul said, our living hope does not put us to shame because of the love we have in our hearts for God Almighty. That doesn't put us to shame. This is where we search our hearts. This is where each person does a self-examination, and we ask ourselves, we look into our hearts and just say, and we ask, do I have a spirit-given love for God? Do I really truly have a spirit-given love for God? Because, you know, when you examine your heart, when you have that spirit-given love for God, you desire to fellowship with God's people. You desire to worship Jesus. That's why we're, we, we come here to praise the name of Jesus. And that comes from a spirit given love for God. And if you do, then you realize that this love fulfills the central command of the Torah. 
And if you have, and if you do have a spirit given love for God, then it's confirmation that you are a member of the kingdom of God. And you will live a life with a living hope in your heart. We are to be thankful. If not, we are in a wrong state of mind if we're not in a thankful state of mind. We should be thankful that God sent the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus said when he was talking about the Holy Spirit. Listen how the Shema was to be fulfilled, John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Notice he did not say, keep my commandments and then you will love me. No, it, it's out of love. It's out of the spirit-given love that we have for God that we will keep his commands. Jesus continued, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, speaking of the, uh, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Oh, what a gift we have. Oh, what a gift. We know him because he dwells in us. Jesus continues. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That's shouting good news right there. Do you see how we love? Do you see how God loves? Do you see how amazing God's love is? He will not leave us nor forsake us like Pastor Ryan said. He will not leave us as orphans. He has promised to send the Holy Spirit through whom all this love happens. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to you, to your remembrance, all that I have said to you. God has sent the helper. God has sent the Holy Spirit, fulfilling his promises, giving his children the ability to fulfill the Shema, to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, and strength. Now we need to look at the Spirit of God for a moment. We need to look at the Holy Spirit. We need to kind of just understand what an incredible gift this is and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now what we do know is this. The Holy Spirit is a divine agent who expresses to a believer the love of God. That is God's love for him. Not only that, but as we have just seen, the Spirit gives the believer the ability to love God. We also know that the reality of God's love in a believer's heart gives us assurance, gives us the guarantee that the believer's hope in God and his promise of glory is not misplaced and will not fail. In other words, like I just said, because God love, God's love for us, we're able to love God, and thus we have a hope that does not put us to shame. It all fits together. Second Corinthians one twenty one says this, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and his anointed and has anointed us and who has put also put his seal on us 
and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is related to his presence in believers as the seal of God. A guarantee. Listen to Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Again, we are sealed by the Spirit of God. We are secure in God's hands until the day of redemption. Scripture also says in Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, when you heard the word of God, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And I love how Titus puts it. He brings all this together. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All three persons of the Trinity are working there. In, in our complete salvation, we see all three persons of the Trinity. Write that verse in your margins, Titus 3, 3 4. So complete, so encouraging. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's a great memory verse right there. When we read that verse, we should be thankful. Because we are in a wrong state of mind if we're not in a thankful state of mind. Amen. Right. Romans 8 9 speaks to the ones who have searched their hearts. If they have, have, have if they see if they have the spirit given love for God. Romans 8 9 comforts us that every child of God has the spirit of Christ in them. He said, you are ever not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If the fact of the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, the, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It is an inner experience of the love of God through the Holy Spirit that sustains us and guides us and has sealed us for the good works that God has prepared for us beforehand. Did God say it would be easy? No. He said there would be persecution. Did God say you would have to do it on your own? No. He said, I'll send the helper. Did God give us the ability to love him with all our heart, minds, and soul? Absolutely. His spirit dwells in us. More proof that he is the one true living God, another fulfilled promise. Amen. 
Paul said in chapter one, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power for salvation for everyone who believes. And if you believe, then we are told here in chapter five that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Through the Holy Spirit, God's love has been poured into our hearts. We are able to love the Lord your God Almighty, and I'm not ashamed to say it, and I pray that you're not either. Now, something I want to see before we move on, we see in verse 5, the love of God, the, the work of the Spirit. Then in verse 6, we see this marvelous realization that while we were helpless, at, at the right time, Christ died for the un ungodly. Now, before we move on to there, I want to talk about the security of our salvation as we roll into to verse 6. This section of Scripture, verses 1 through 11, is loaded with gospel truths. Loaded with gospel realities and gospel securities, may I say. We can see the security of our salvation through this entire section of Scripture. This is, this is where we go when we need to get our minds right. We go back to the basics. Because many people have struggled with the question, is there salvation forever? Are they secure in God's hands? Is their salvation secure? And we need to get to the right answers to those questions because when we do, when we get the right answers to those questions, fear is replaced with joy. Joy gives us comfort and that brings in our hope. And all of this is anchored to the great security of our salvation. The good news is, I told you I was full of good news. Listen, the security of our salvation is not dependent on us. Well, if not us, then what? Or better yet, who? The security of our salvation is dependent on the unchanging character of God and the absolute limitless power of God to overcome all things for the accomplishment of his own purpose. And we could see that through these 11 verses. You know, I can't count the amount of times that I've talked with believers and they'll say, you know, I, you know, I put my trust in, in Jesus. You know, I, I get that I've been forgiven of my sins in the past. You know, Christ died in my, my place. I have faith, they'll say. And then they will say, is that enough? Is that enough? What happens when I sin again? Is my salvation secure? Do I lose my salvation every time I sin? Is faith enough to keep me in the hands of God until that final day? How can I know that I know I will spend eternity with God? Well, the answers are here in verse 11. The good news is not because of something we do that keeps us in the hands of God. It's something, it's not something that we do that will be able to keep our salvation, not at all. You see, the reason people doubt is because they know that their faith is not perfect. It's not. They know that their obedience is not perfect. It's not. And they know deep down inside that their love is not perfect. And so all those imperfections gives way to doubt. And the question comes up, is my salvation secure? Well, I have good news for the doubters. It is true. We do not have perfect faith or perfect obedience or perfect love. That's coming. But the good news is, is that's not what secures us. We are kept by the perfect power of God. 
Watch what happens when we look back in the book of Romans. Prior to our salvation, what was the position of every human being? They were an enemy to God, right? God is at war with sinners. Sinners are at war with God. There's no peace. Ephesians 2, 3 says, all men are children of wrath, sons of wrath, headed for eternal judgment. But the good news is, hey, I'm full of good news today, right? I'm full of good news. That's why we have to be thankful. That's why we got to be in the right mind, because there's a lot of good news in this scripture. What did we learn at the beginning of chapter five? We learned that our relationship with God has changed. We now have peace with God. How did that happen? It was through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's anger over our sin had been, has been satisfied because Christ paid the penalty for our sin. Justice has been satisfied. Anger is satisfied. Christ is our peace. He is the one who has made peace for us with God. Now we have a new relationship with God. We are no longer at war with God. We are no longer enemies of God. Listen, we have a permanent peace because what angered God was our sin and his anger has been satisfied in the perfect suffering of Christ on our behalf. Number one reason we are secure is we have perfect and permanent peace with God. No longer an enemy. No longer that war. Secondly, we know we are secure because we are standing in grace. You remember that. How did that happen? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through his work on the cross and through his ever consistent intercessory work on our behalf, through Christ, we have entered into the realm of grace. We stand in it. What does that mean? Because we stand in grace, even though sin abounds in our lives, grace much more abounds. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been ushered into the presence of a gracious God. We now have peace with a gracious God, and his grace is abundant, his grace is constant, and his grace is limitless on our behalf. Listen, whenever we fail, whenever we fall short, whenever we sin, grace operates on our behalf. We never step out of the realm of grace. The word says we stand in it. We stand in grace. Our Lord Jesus tore down the veil so we could have access to God. It is our Lord who ushered us into his presence. And in his presence, grace dominates. We stand in grace. Amen. Amen. Number one, we now have a relationship with God that is permanent peace. Number two, we live in a realm of grace which operates immediately whenever we sin. And therefore, number three, we have hope. Remember what I said. Hope of the glory takes care of the future. A believer has a secure salvation going forward because we have been promised glory and we know that God fulfills his promises 100%. The good news, that is good news. The great fulfillment of our salvation will be brought to manifestation in the glory that is to come. The consummation of our redemption, that is the hope of the glory. Now look back and tell me, what part did man do to receive or keep his salvation? Nada. Nothing. Not a thing. It was all done by God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we should not doubt 
our security in the hands of God. I like how one commentator put it. He said, you can start avoiding the sin of doubt by getting your theology right. Amen. The Bible clearly teaches that it is through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we receive salvation. So if we could lose it, it would be lost through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that ain't going to happen. When it comes to teaching, being secure in the hands of God, we proclaim sound theology every Sunday. You proclaim sound theology every Sunday. You say it. First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, what? Listen to that. Has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's sound theology. That's enough to remove any doubt. But listen, if that's not enough for you to know that you know that you are secure in the hands of God, then look back at what we just read about the Holy Spirit. Knowing about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does should seal the deal. No pun intended. God sent the helper. He sent the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Our inheritance who intercedes for us, who enables us to live a life that glorifies God. What more can God do or say for us to know that we know we are in the kingdom of God, that we are a child of God? What else does God have to do for us to know that we know that we are in the new covenant? So glad you asked. Let's look at verse six. For while we were still weak at that, at the time, right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Man, there's some more good news. We're in the wrong state of mind if we're not in a thankful state of mind. Because when we look at this text, we can see just how much we have that we had to do with our salvation. Nothing again. While we were still helpless or literally without strength, powerless, while we were weak, unable to do anything, at the right time, Christ died for us. That's how much we had to do with it. We, could, we were so weak and powerless, we couldn't even raise a finger to help. But at the right time, the right time, in the fullness of time, our Lord Jesus Christ died for us, us, the ungodly, the ones who are at war with God. Do you understand the magnitude of God's love? How do we know that his love will endure forever? How do we know that? How do we know that our, our, our salvation is secure? What, I love what this text does. It says, if God loved us when we were unlovable, if he died for us when we were ungodly, if he died for us when we were enemies, then we should never doubt that, he, that his love would endure forever because scripture says that he demonstrated his own love 
while we were yet sinners, that means he died for us. That means that now that he is alive and we are a child of God, how much more? How much more does he love us? He demonstrated his own love for us while we were yet sinners. That kind of love should blow our minds. You see, this, this text should wipe away all doubt of God's love for his children. It should wipe away all doubt that we could lose our salvation. If God loved us when we were sinners, and he did, then how much more does he love us now that we are a child of God? If God could love us when we were enemies, then he definitely loves us now that we are friends. That's what Jesus calls us. We're a friend of Jesus. That's the kind of love that secures our salvation. And we are in a wrong state of mind if we're not in a thankful state of mind. Look at the beauty of God in this text and the love for his children. We can see the character of God's love. God demonstrates his love by the death of his son, Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We hear that again and again. This is, the, this is how the love was demonstrated. In the fullness of time, Christ came while man was feeble, unable to lift the finger. We were at war, and yet our Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for us. That kind of love we cannot understand. The text actually says that Jesus died on behalf of, or, or sometimes it means in place of, you know, as long as we walk this earth, we will never comprehend the kind of love God has for his children. Think about this text for a minute. The text says that a person might be willing to die for a righteous man or, or for a good man. A person might be willing to offer himself as a substitute so, that, so a good man can continue to live. That's what it says. But you remember what Jesus said? He said the greatest act of love is what? For one to lay down his life for another. That would be the, the highest expression of human love and devotion. But the love of God is so much grander than that. He did not lay down his life for a good person. He did not lay down his life for a righteous person. No, he came and went to the cross for a bunch of ungodly sinners who were his enemies. <clears throat> That's the kind of love that secures our salvation. And that's the kind of love we, we, we're not going to get our head around. I don't know who would do it in heaven. I don't know. So don't doubt your salvation. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And live a life of victory. How can we do that? Verse 9 says, since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We live in victory. We are no longer enemies. We have been saved from the wrath of God. So go tell that to a lost and dying world. Let's be like Paul. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So go rejoice by having an attitude of gratitude and make sure our minds are right. That is being in a thankful state of mind. Amen. 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 Pastor Duke.